good morning. I want to welcome you to Westside Baptist Church. I'm glad that you were able to join us this morning. Let me wish all of you a happy new year. As I get started this morning, I have a simple question for you. My question to you is, do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? It's a simple enough question. It's very direct, concise. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Well, based upon the what the Bible tells us about hell, I think I'm safe in saying that no one really wants to go to hell. I mean, who really would want to go to hell? I can't think of anybody that would want to go to hell. The Lord Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew gives us several insights to what hell is like. Obviously, there are other places throughout the Bible where hell is described, but the Lord Jesus himself in the Gospel of Matthew tells us in chapter 8, verses 11 through 12, he says, I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom of this world will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. He also, in chapter 13 of Matthew, says, The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out his kingdom, all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Doesn't sound like a very pleasant place, does it? Who would want to go there? Well, in case you missed it, we go on in the Gospel of Matthew, further along in chapter 13, verses 49 and 50. There the Lord says, At the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then finally, in Matthew chapter 25, verse 41, we have a scene at the final judgment. And there Jesus will say to the unrighteous, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And just a little further down in verse 46, he tells us, and they will go away into eternal punishment. So this place, hell, doesn't sound like a very good place. Doesn't sound like a place that anybody would actually want to go. Weeping and gnashing of teeth and darkness, and eternal punishment, eternal fire. No one could possibly really want to go to hell. But then the only other option is heaven. So as Christians, we talk about salvation. God has made a way through the death and resurrection of Jesus for us to be saved from hell. And many in churches are willing to accept Jesus as their Savior because they don't want to go to hell. But Jesus, Jesus wants to be more than your Savior. 
Jesus wants to be Lord of your life. For someone to be Lord of your life means that person is in charge. They call all the shots. You do what they say. They are in control. Wow. They are in control. For many people, that's a difficult thing to embrace, to relinquish control, to let someone be in control of their life. But the truth is, folks, that someone is Lord of your life right now. Someone is already Lord of your life. Now, for you, who is that? In many cases, I suspect that you are Lord of your life. You want to be in charge. You want to call all the shots. You want to decide what you do and don't do. You want to be in control. You're not willing to relinquish that control to someone else. You want to hang on to it. You want to determine your own destiny, or so you think. No one else could possibly do it better than you. No one else has better ideas than you. You want to hold on to the control. You want to be in charge. You want to call the shots. So you may be willing to refer to Jesus as Savior because you don't want to go to hell. But you draw the line at letting him be Lord of your life. That's just going too far. That's expecting too much to allow him to be Lord, to allow him to have control over your life. It, it's too much to expect that you would relinquish your life, relinquish your control to Jesus. Oh, you're willing to accept what he's done. You're willing to accept the work that Jesus did for you. You're willing to allow him to leave his throne in heaven. You're willing to accept the work that he did by humbling himself to take on flesh as a man and enduring the persecution and the torture at the hands of unrighteous men. And you're willing to accept the work that he did, allowing himself to be beaten and crucified on a cross for you. Oh, you may be willing to accept all that he did for you. But you're not willing to let go of control of the life that he purchased with his own blood. If you've come to know the Lord Jesus, if you have accepted his free gift of salvation, then he purchased your life with his blood. So are you going to simply be willing to accept all that he did for you? 
and be unwilling to relinquish control of the life he purchased. So you're willing to let him purchase your life, but then you're going to hold on to it. You're going to say, I know, Jesus, that you purchased my life. I know that you hung on a cross, and I know that you bled for my sins, but I'm going to hold on to the life that you purchased. I'm not willing to let you have it. You did all that was necessary to purchase it, to buy it, but I'm going to hold on to it. I'm going to keep it. I'm not going to let you have that which you purchased. You may be willing to accept the work that he did for you, but you're not willing to let go of control of the life he purchased. It's your life, right? You should be free to live any way you want. You should be able to do anything you want. It's your life. You should be able to make the decisions and call the shots for yourself. You should be. No, no, you must be in control. It seems that some people are supposedly willing to entrust God with their eternal soul because they don't because they want to be saved from hell. But they're not willing to trust God with the life they are living now. Jesus should be Savior and Lord of your life. Have you given your life to Jesus? We often ask that question, and, and, and what we're meaning is, are you saved? Have you been redeemed by the blood of Jesus? Have you accepted the free gift of salvation? But what I'm asking you today is, is a little different. What I'm asking you today is, have you given your life to Jesus? Not just are you saved, but have you actually relinquished authority? Have you relinquished control? Have you been willing to actually give Jesus that which he purchased have you given your life to Jesus? Have you really? Have you truly given your life to Jesus? Is he Savior and Lord of your life? Is Jesus in charge of your life? Do you obey his word? Do you consider what he wants when you make decisions, is Jesus in control of your life or are you? Who is really, truly Lord of your life? Think carefully about that. It's an important, significant question. Who is truly Lord of your life? We all have a throne in our lives, but only one can sit on that throne. Whoever sits on that throne is Lord of your life. Does Jesus sit on that throne in your life or do you? Who's sitting on the throne of your life today? If you want Jesus to be Lord of your life, 
If you truly want him to be Lord of your life, if you've given him your eternal soul, if you've entrusted to him your eternity, how difficult can it be to entrust him with the finite life that you live today? Whoever sits on that throne is Lord of your life. So ask yourself, pause and think carefully before you answer. Does Jesus sit on the throne in your life or do you? If you want Jesus to be Lord of your life, then you need to remove yourself. He's not going to kick you out. He's essentially going to say, if you think you can do better, then have at it. How's that working for you? He's not going to kick you off the throne. He's going to wait and let you finally give up and realize that you cannot do it. That when you're on the throne, you do nothing but make things worse. You make bad choices. You make bad decisions. You're selfish in your decision process. You're not thinking of others. You're not compassionate. You're not loving. You're not merciful. You're not any of those things that Jesus would be if you would let him sit on that throne in your life. So if you really want Jesus to be Lord of your life, you need to humble yourself. You need to remove yourself from the throne of your life. Allow him to sit on that throne. Allow him to be Lord. So how do you do that? Well, there are lots of ways, but a few examples might be that you read and you study his word so that you know what it says. Hey, how's that for a a unique concept. That's pretty novel, isn't it, that you would actually read God's Word? Well, think about it. If you want to please Him, if you want to obey Him, then certainly the first thing is going to be to know what He has to say. Know what His desires are for you and for your life. So we are to read and study His Word so that we know what it says. And then we truly commit. Did you get that part? Truly, sincerely commit. Make a commitment to obey his word. Now, when you commit to something, it's not just, I'm going to commit for a little bit. I'm going to just commit until it becomes displeasing to me. I'm going to commit until things just get tough and then I'm going to give up, and I'm going to quit. No, if you want Jesus to be Lord of your life, you must read his word, understand his word, and know what it says, and then truly, sincerely commit to obeying his word, even when it's difficult to do so. Next, you make your decisions based upon his word and principles of righteousness. Again, how can you make those decisions according to God's word if you don't know what his word says? It is imperative, people, that we read the word of God regularly, like eating food to nourish our bodies. We need the nourishment of God's word to keep us spiritually 
healthy. Read his word so that you know what it says so that you can obey it and you can use it when making decisions in your life. If Jesus is going to be Lord of your life, he must be in control. You must be willing to allow him to call the shots. You must be willing to live according to his plan and his principles, not yours. You can't tell him, I'm going to let you be on the throne of my life, but I'm going to make all of the decisions. I'm going to let you be Lord of my life and let you sit on the throne of my life but instead of me doing what you say, then I want you to do what I say. It doesn't work that way. There cannot be two lords. There cannot be two masters in your life. Jesus illustrates this for us in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus is teaching about the appropriate perspective on money. But I think you'll understand and, and, and realize the principle here and how it applies for although he is talking about the perspective of money in our lives in this particular instance, note what he says, no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. You also cannot have two lords or two masters in your life. Jesus will not share the throne with you. He is either Lord of your life or he's not. This is serious business, not something to be taken lightly. You must be honest with yourself. Oh, you may be able to fool others, and you may even deceive yourself but God knows God knows if he is truly the Lord of your life you cannot fool him you may convince others you may convince yourself but God knows if he is truly the Lord of your life in the gospel of Matthew chapter 7 verses 21 through 23 Jesus makes this very clear and it is from this passage that I took my primary text today because I think it is so important for us to grapple with and come to terms with the reality that Jesus wants to be Lord of your life and the thing that stands in the way of that is you. It's not Satan. It's not others. It's not family or friends or the government. It's you. You are the one thing that stands in the way of Jesus being Lord of your life. It is serious business. And I think we see that illustrated in this passage of Matthew chapter 7, there Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
He goes on and says, On that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let me say that again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. You see, there's a difference in just calling Jesus Lord or just saying that he is Lord, giving lip service that he is Lord, but he knows. He knows those whom he is truly Lord of. For there will be those he will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness, because he knows if he is Lord of your life. To simply say that Jesus is Lord of your life is not the same as truly turning your life over and relinquishing control to him. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, verse 46. This is actually the, the same scene portrayed in Matthew, chapter 7. But Luke's version of it, I, I, I like the way it's worded, and I think it's very poignant, very concise and direct so in luke chapter 6 verse 46 it's the same scene the same occasion but here what luke recorded the lord jesus saying was why do you call me lord lord and not do what i tell you why do you call me lord if you're not going to do what i tell you why do you call me lord if you're not going to obey my commandments why do you call me Lord if you're going to ignore me and I'm not even going to be a part of your life? Why do you call me Lord when you're not allowing me to work in and through you to change you? Why do you call me Lord and not do what I tell you? The Gospel of John, Jesus makes this sentiment clear. He says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me. If you love me, you will allow me to be Lord of your life. If you love me, you will allow me to be in control. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. In other words, if Jesus is truly our Lord, if Jesus is truly Lord of your life, there will be evidence of his lordship, his control in your life. Dr. Guy Waters is professor of New Testament at Reformed Theological Seminary and a frequent contributor to the online resources of Ligonier Ministries. And he wrote, saving faith must demonstrate itself to be the genuine article by producing good works. It is possible to profess saving faith, but not possess saving faith. 
What distinguishes true faith from a mere claim to faith is the presence of good works. We are in no way justified by our good works. We're not saved by works. But no one may consider himself to be a justified person unless he sees in his life the fruit and evidence of justifying faith that is good works. If Jesus is Lord of your life, there will be evidence of him working in and through your life. And what Dr. Waters is saying here is if you are not seeing evidence of Jesus working in and through your life, then you will know that he is not Lord of your life. And worse, you better check and make sure that you truly are saved. We are not justified by works. We are not saved by our works. But when we are saved... There should be good works. There should be evidence of Jesus working in and through our lives. There should be evidence that he is Lord of our life, that he is in control, that he is making the decisions, that we are living according to his word, that we are obeying his word. If Jesus is Lord of your life. Well, many shy away from the concept of Jesus being Lord in their life because the thought of being submissive to anyone is difficult. We shy away because we like to be in charge. Let's face it. Let's be honest. The truth is, given the option, we want to be in charge. In most situations, we like to be in charge because we want things the way we want them. We even want other people to do things the way we want them done. We want to be in charge. And so we shy away because we really like to be in charge. And we sometimes shy away because we're afraid to relinquish control. We're afraid to trust God with our lives. We feel like we can do it better. We feel like we will be safer if we are in control. So we shy away because we like being in charge and we shy away because we are afraid to relinquish control of our life to God. But God's redemptive plan of salvation includes something called sanctification. We are saved in a moment. We are justified before the Lord. But sanctification is a process. It's something that takes place over the course of our life. It is the process of God working in us to change us so that over time we become more like Jesus. But sanctification this change that should take place in a believer's life over time. The sanctification and spiritual growth does not happen if Jesus is not Lord of your life. If you want to be saved from hell, confess your sin and accept the free gift of salvation. But Jesus is 
is not just Savior. He is not just a Savior offering a free ticket to heaven. He's not offering just a get-out-of-jail-free card. He is not just a Savior, but He is also Lord. He should be Lord of your life. He is not just a Savior who's just your one-way ticket out of hell. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to have an ongoing relationship with you. He said, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love him, you will allow him to be Lord of your life. If you love him, if you want him to be Lord of your life, you'll trust him. You'll be willing to relinquish control of your life knowing that he loves you, that he was willing to die for you, that he purchased the life that you're living, and he is entitled to control of it. Jesus is not just a Savior, but he is also Lord. So I started with a question. Let me end with a question. Who are you going to allow to sit on the throne of your life? Will it be you or will it be Jesus? Who is Lord of your life today? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to proclaim your word. Father, to speak your truth audibly. Father, I thank you for your written word that is instruction to us. It is convicting to us. It communicates your love for us. It gives us a blueprint for life. But Father, I recognize that for this plan to work its best, to be best for us, it involves allowing the Lord Jesus to be Lord in my life. So, Father, I pray that this morning, for those of us who have heard your word proclaimed today, that we would grapple with that question. First, do I want to go to heaven or do I want to go to hell? And, Father, assuming that most of us would choose heaven, may we also recognize that to accept the free gift of salvation is only the beginning. That you want to have a relationship with us. That you want to be Lord of our life. You want us to get off the throne in our life and let you sit upon that throne as King of kings and Lord of lords. For it's in the name of Jesus I pray.